Welcome to Let Genius Burn, a podcast series about the life and legacy of Louisa May Alcott. I'm Jamie Burgess. And I'm Jill Fuller. In today's episode, we'll meet a woman who speaks the language of Louisa, the executive director of Louisa May Alcott's Orchard House, Jan Turnquist. This is Louisa Into Life. Season one, we explored the many facets of Louisa May Alcott's life through different lenses. Each of these episodes was lovingly scripted over the course of two years. The episodes built upon each other, creating a layered portrait of a woman that brings her to life. In season two, we're bringing you new perspectives on Louisa's life and influence through conversations and interviews with artists, writers, and scholars. And we're so excited for you to listen. So here we are, Jamie, we're back. Yeah, here we are. I'm so excited. I can't wait to share season two with our listeners. Yes. Thank you all for tuning in. Season two is here because of all of you, because of you listening and downloading and all of your support and excitement for Louisa's story and her life. So we're just thrilled that um, you wanted a season two. So here we are. So thank you. And there will be parts of this season that we've written and scripted but significantly less than in season one because like we said it took a really long time to write those episodes and this time we just wanted to hear from some other voices start to bring in other voices to the podcast and other perspectives which ended up being super important and just profoundly life-changing I don't know what to say (laughs) Yeah, I feel like in season one, we, you know, our main goal was to tell Louisa's story in a new way. And I feel like we did that. But now we're really going beyond her immediate story and her immediate narrative. And now we're looking through these conversations and interviews, we're really looking at other ways of interpreting her life and her influence. So with some of these conversations, you're going to hear about how people have been inspired by her, how they have taken her works and reinterpreted them, how they are looking at her example and looking forward to the future based on her and her family and their example. Uh, So yeah, the conversations, you know, I, Jamie, I don't know about you, but when I went into them, I kind of, I mean, I was very, very excited to talk with some of the people that we talked with, obviously, and you'll hear that in this season, but I thought that I knew what what to expect. We had talked with some of these people before, communicated with them before, you know, many of these people that we talked with personally, but I still found it so moving to hear just exactly how much and all the different ways that Louisa and the Alcott's, how relevant they are and their work and their life and, and what they believed in and what they stood for and just how relevant it is still. Um, And I really think people are going to get that from season two. So I'm really, I'm very excited about that. I feel the same way. I didn't know what to expect going into these conversations. And, you know, like you said, these are people that I have had many conversations about Louisa with them, you know, over the years. And so it's not like I thought, oh, there's nothing to say. I mean, for me, there's always something to say about the Alcott's, but Hearing people articulate what 
continues to bring them back to this subject, this family, this place. It's really beautiful. And it's all over the map. It's things that are like political views or artistic inspiration, even just like the ethics of the Alcotts, what kind of people they were, people of integrity, people of faith in the goodness of humanity. I mean, that that part of it, hearing people kind of articulate that and talk to us about that. To me, it was it was so important to hear some of these thoughts expressed out loud. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one of the things we're going to hear in this episode with Jan is she talks about how Louisa has always brought her connection with other people. And I definitely feel that way about this podcast. It's brought us connection with each other and with new listeners, people who have become our friends, people that we've connected with online and through different groups. And now, you know, people that we connected with in these conversations and and through these really deep talks about Louisa and her family. And I think that people will find new connections with the Alcotts and not just with them, but then also hopefully everyone listening will come to understand maybe their own form some deeper connections within themselves um, and come to think and, and reflect on their own, like you're saying, their values and ethics and 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 what they return to time and again. So we're really hoping that that's the connections that people will make after listening to this season. In season one, Jill and I had a lot of late nights recording together, writing together, and it was a really beautiful and special creative time that we spent together. And I came away from that feeling really energized all the time, feeling like I want to I want to talk to someone about this. And then we got to do that with season 2. We got to you know start to bring that more out into the world. And for me, and I think for Louisa too, writing you know was something that happened in private, but it was for the world. It was for like you said creating connection. So moving from that stage into this one I think it's just a really important next step. And I'm excited. The Elcott family moved innumerable times in the course of their lives. They lived in every style home, from basement apartment to mansion house, as their fortunes changed and the family grew. But there's one place that is always linked to the Elcotts, no matter how far they roamed. It's not just Concord, Massachusetts, a hamlet outside the city of Boston, where many like-minded scholars and philosophers gathered in the 19th century, but a specific house, a brown colonial house on Lexington Road. This house is called the Orchard House. The house is the backdrop for iconic scenes in the Little Women films, the inspiration for every March family home in cinema. Today, it is a house museum dedicated to educating the public about the progressive and influential lives of the Elcott family. The museum's executive director, Jan Turnquist, has held the keys to Orchard House for many years, literally since she started as a guide at Orchard House, opening its doors to the public each day. She also portrays Louisa May Alcott for education programming and in historical reenactment. She oversees renovations to the house that maintain both its historical integrity and accommodate the many thousands of visitors to the house each year. 
She consults with filmmakers and other artists who adapt Little Women or Louisa May Alcott's life into everything from operas to feature films. Jan's accomplishments at Orchard House are too varied and long to mention individually, but we invited her to speak on Let Genius Burn, not only because of her involvement at Orchard House. For many people who have seen her perform, Jan embodies Louisa and her spirit. So to start our new season, we're beginning with a woman who has built her own career around preserving Louisa's legacy. So we're so excited to be here with Jan Turnquist, who is the executive director of Orchard House, my former boss and (laughs) a great friend and colleague in the Louisa circle and Louisa family. Thank you for joining us, Jan. It is such a pleasure. I'm so excited to be here now and also just with your entire project. Oh, thank you. I will jump right in because, Jan, I have never yet been to Orchard House. Can you believe it? (laughs) Uh, It is on my bucket list and hopefully going to be on my list this summer. Um, So I have yet to see you really portray Louisa, but I know that you're pretty well known for doing so. Um, So tell us how that came to be. Like, how how did you come to portray Louisa? Um, and, And what is that like for you? Oh, well, first of all, I should say, just so that people know if they're not familiar with with how things work at Orchard House, I do not typically do it there. Um, How I got started doing it really was because for some children's programming, I did portray Louisa, but one of the teachers who had actually come for a couple of years asked me if I could come and do the same sort of portrayal of Louisa at her library. And I thought, well, my goodness, I always just have done it for children's programs at Orchard House, but well, I guess I could give it a try. And it was so much fun. And then, you know, once you do something like that, one place, if someone sees it, they want you to do it another place. And so it just sort of grew from there um, to the point where I then was amazed that I was doing it in some pretty far away places. Um, I had mentioned to to Jamie when we were just talking a little earlier um, about a ballet um, that Mark Odama wrote, a Little Women ballet. And I ended up being asked to go to Mexico City because they were putting that ballet on at an American school there and they wanted more background on Louisa I ended up being invited to Japan. I've portrayed Louisa in a lot of different places in Japan with a translator. (laughs) Um, And of course, many wonderful experiences in this country. And then because of COVID, sometimes you're doing something on Zoom. And so you want to make that seem realistic. And I had to figure out a way to to do that (laughs) with (laughs) with my computer set up as a camera. I mean, you just never would dream of where one little experience might take you as it kind of develops. So I have had an amazing time doing it. I love doing it. I was once asked by a member of the audience afterwards, do you channel her? I was just floored because I have read a lot about Louisa. I am fascinated 
but never once have I thought of anything close to that. I, you know, I don't, <laughs> I, I'm myself. I'm always myself. I never get mixed up and think I'm her. <laughs> <laughs> and, but I think it's really important if you're doing that kind of thing, if you're portraying anyone, that you find the places within your own life that are congruent with the person you're portraying, especially if it's a real person. I, I think that's true if, if you're, you know, in a play and you're reading about a fictitious character, you still have to know the characteristics of that person and figure out where you're congruent and sort of go there because then whatever the words are that you're speaking that maybe are that person's words, they're not your own words, they feel comfortable and you, you can feel as if you're, you're really uh, flowing, I guess you could say. It mm -hmm. doesn't feel like you're needing to think about, wait, how do I do this? It just has to come out the same way any conversation that you have in, in your own persona. So I really enjoyed it. I've learned a lot doing it. Um, but I've had some very funny experiences where people, and, and flattering, I'm, I'm thrilled when people say, you know, one time I was performing for a group of teachers and one of the teachers started to ask me a question afterwards. It was, it was a time of questions. And the way she was asking the question, well, now did your father, blah, 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 whatever. And then she, she just stopped mid-sentence and said, oh gosh, I'm, I forget she's not really Louisa or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> and I just love moments like that because the other way I think of it is that I step into sort of a bubble and if I'm really in it, I'm really uh, immersed, then they, the audience, will step into the bubble with me. For me, that begs the question, where are those places in your life that feel congruent to Louisa's that you like latch onto and step into? Oh, well, there really are a lot of them. Um, I, I think that the even though in today's world, females are not struggling the way they struggled in Louisa's era. I have always been very aware of areas where <laughs> the girls are not quite invited into the same sphere mm -hmm. <laughs> that the, mm -hmm. the men are. And, and I feel that like Louisa, you don't have to accept that, but you do have to negotiate it in a way that doesn't make you seem like a pariah. Do you know what I mean? I, she, mm -hmm. I always felt that anytime I've read Alcott, I feel that she has an amazing ability to walk a fine line. And if, if you're trying to grow and you're trying to break new ground, you're trying to do something that someone else, maybe a close associate, that it matters to you what they think they don't understand. Mm -hmm. You need to... To be successful, you need to walk a fine line. And Louisa could do that. And I've actually had a lot of instances in my life where I feel like I need to walk that fine line and understand the other person. And I felt I always have felt that Louise May Alcott had an amazing capacity for empathy to really allow herself to understand other people, points of view that weren't hers, mm -hmm. and, and connect well. And I, I admire that, and, and I guess it has influenced me as well. 
And I think her sense of humor and sense of fun feel very familiar to me. I, you know, I, I think it's so great to, to be willing to have a little lighter perspective, even though I don't think a lot of people really understand that about Louisa. And also her physicality. She was very, really, I, I think today you could you'd use the term athletic. She, nobody called women that <laughs> back then, mm-hmm. but she was. She was so, and it was important to her to move physically. And that's always been a huge part of who I am. That's another thing. I think Louisa, even though she had that sense of humor, she could be kind of caustic sometimes with the humor, but she was a very positive person. Mm-hmm. You, can't, you can't do what she did without actually having a lot of optimism. You can get angry. You can uh, you know, have some sarcastic humor about certain uh, experiences. But underneath it all, you have to believe that something good is going to come from your efforts. And that takes some optimism. Yeah, I definitely think optimism was her foundation. Even even in those diary entries when she's much older and she's sick and she's in pain and you can just really see that she's suffering, you know, she'll still make diary notations of something, you know, of Lulu dropping by. And, you know, yes. and she'll, she'll, still, she'll still make notes of things that gave her a little bit of joy. And so you yeah. can still see that that optimism comes, still comes through. Yeah. And, and she's really looking for that, I think, mm-hmm. all the time. She's, she's ready for it. Right. Which is not the same thing as naivete. It's the opposite of a Pollyanna. It's really mm-hmm. knowing all of the hard things and having experienced them. And I think a lot of that came from her mother. Um, mm. Well, both her parents, but I think particularly of the time when Beth was so very ill. And Louisa and Anna had been portraying Betsy Frigg and Siri Gamp. These two mm-hmm. Dickens characters, pretty hilariously. And Louisa kind of thought, you know, we, we shouldn't be doing that right now. Beth is here very, very sick. And I'm paraphrasing, but basically Marmy was saying, no, no, no. It's good for Beth to see you doing this, to see you getting ready. You go off, you do it, and then you, you come back and, and you can tell her about it. I mean, there was a sense of, you need to find a way to get out of yourself when you're really struggling. And you can't know the value of that unless you've been through some dark times. Marmy knew. Marmy taught mm-hmm. it to Louisa. Then Louisa knew and practiced it. And I think that life has some very hard things in it for almost everyone if you live long enough. Maybe some people escape it, but <laughs> I don't know any that have. And, and so you can learn that way of handling life through the dark times so that you you can not miss the joy that, that's around you. So in addition to portraying Louisa yourself, you've had the chance to witness some truly talented and unique actresses portraying Joe March as consultant to a couple of different adaptations of Little Women. Can we hear about your experience working with, for example, Maya Hawke on the 2018 masterpiece version of Little Women and Shersha Ronan on the Growing film? Yes, I, I was so, I felt so privileged to, to be involved in both of those. Um, for the masterpiece Little Women, 
it was all filmed in Ireland. And a lot of what I was um, needed for had to, was more in a way technical because the director and executive producer of that show had come to Massachusetts to Orchard House very early on and um, before any filming or anything. And they, they, and I met with them. We, I showed them a lot of things about the house, of course. But then they showed me photographs of, <laughs> of the, some of the houses they were going to use, you know, for example, for the Moffats. And they looked like small stone castles. There, there was just nothing of New England in the look. Mm. And when I was explaining that to them, and I took them around town and showed them, there was a lot more that I could say about that. But you can kind of see that that was, that was a lot of what they were after. That was a lot of why they wanted someone like me. But then when I was really there, we all stayed in the same hotel. And... Oh, my word. It was just such a treat. Some of what I had to do was not a treat at all. <laughs> because <laughs> Sometimes people, di they didn't understand what I was getting at. They didn't understand why I was sort of, you know, throwing a, a stone in their path when they thought they had something all set. This was even true for some of the props. But I got a chance to be on the set and watch the way these watch everything watch the way it was being directed i was really touched by a lot of the script choices and maya hawk was so young i mean she was 19 she she had just left juilliard to do this film and it was evident right from the get-go because i did have the privilege of spending a fair amount of time just downtime you know just because it was a small enough cast and we were in the same place to just get to know her and her <laughs> physicality again. Here we come with that again. Mm -hmm. But she was so willing to, I mean, she was the kind of person that if, if it's freezing and you have no intention of plunging in the ocean, but for some reason, all of a sudden, it's the thing that someone suggests, she'd do it. She, <laughs> she'd be the one mm -hmm. who'd be ready to leap up and jump in the water. That kind of spirit, I felt like she was in her soul, very, very much like Joe in the book. And it was fun to see. And, and she was just willing, game for anything and always willing to try things. And it, it was really a, a treat to see somebody like that. And then with the Gerwig film, it was very different in almost every way you can imagine. Everything, <laughs> which was fascinating in itself. The script's so different. The personalities of the people portraying the roles and mm -hmm. the whole thing was being filmed here in Massachusetts so there was no travel no lodging you know in some ways that made it a little less of an immersion because you know you're sleeping in your own bed mm -hmm. um, but I also was privileged to be an extra in the film and that was amazing to to really get to watch these people work as I did in Ireland but now I'm I'm really right in the mix with them um, mm -hmm. in, in the Gerwig film. And the passion that Greta has for this story was so evident. She wanted to get it right. Um, one of the clips that I used in my little documentary um, was Greta saying when she came into Orchard House and saw the drawings on the walls in May's bedchamber, 
oh, we know exactly who this family is. <laughs> and I love that comment that she made because that's something that does happen in Orchard House. There's something about the physical place that has not really changed that is powerful, that you understand something that you you sort of understand before coming in, but you understand it differently when you're when you're in that space. And the questions that the actors had, they all came through Orchard House on, on a tour. You know, I mean, a special tour that I gave to them, except Meryl Streep. But Amy Pascal, she had seen my little documentary. So she knew who I was. She knew my face. And now these people are, it's a group coming. And I don't know who anyone is at first, you know, especially from a distance. And I come outside to greet them as they're getting uh, out of, you know, from the parking lot. and. Amy says, oh, Jan, hello. <laughs> I'm thinking, wow. And then she's Amy Pascal. Well, she loves Orchard House. And she came in and just bought all these wonderful little things for the cast members um, from the house. She wanted to do that. And then later when they came for their press junket, they did that inside Orchard House as well. This is after mm -hmm. the film is completely finished. Uh, she came again. And she was just so down to earth, but so enamored of Alcott and Orchard House and, and enthusiastic. And it was just a real joy to see that because you talk about somebody who you just know has to walk a fine line all the time. It's a big industry. It's a tough industry. And <laughs> you don't have a lot of downtime. And I, I was another person that struck me that way that came on a project for Orchard House was Annie Leibovitz. That's exactly because, what I was thinking of as you were talking. I remember well, those days when she was at the house. Yeah. 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 And, and she too is someone who's lived in a very tough world a lot of the time mm -hmm. and loved being in Orchard House. And mm -hmm. she put Orchard House as one of those sites in her book, Pilgrimage. Women who are groundbreaking in what they do. Annie Leibovitz, certainly, uh, you know, Amy Pascal, um, mm -hmm. many others that I either had the privilege to meet and actually speak with and hear how they feel about Louisa. Like, um, my mind just went well, blank. Well, you mentioned this, so. like even Laura Bush or Hillary Clinton, all these women. <laughs> oh, definitely. I mean, I, Gloria uh, Steinem. Yes, Gloria, Gloria Steinem. Steinem. I think for all of these women that I'm talking about, um, now that that I've been lucky enough to meet and and find out how they feel about Alcott, they 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 carry those congruent parts. I think many many your listeners do too. That that's why Louisa never goes out of style because mm. she allowed that vulnerability for people to see who she was and identify with who she was, and I think that's powerful. I just took a big breath. I just feel like I felt that like inside of me, what you just said. Like, yeah. Well, I, I think any women too. who have ambitions, any women who have dreams to make positive change in the world, Louisa is part of that spirit. She certainly had that. I would love to just hear like a few highlights of your career. I mean, that's a huge question. <laughs> but you have made a career of, you know, talking about Louisa, spreading the words about 
the Alcots and their mission and kind of making this work your life and making it personal. What stands out as you look back? Well, there are a couple of different areas, but they all involve other people, the interactions with other people. Um, One small example, but powerful in the moment, but it's just, it's happened many times in different ways, but I'll just use one example. I was coming out of Orchard House one day, the alarm had been put on, it was about seven o'clock. So, you know, I, it had been a long day already. And this car pulls up. And I see this woman get out of the car with that look, Jamie, you know, the look. Yeah. Oh, oh look, I'm here. <laughs> and I, I just, I thought to myself, oh, <laughs> you know, I, I really wanted her to be able to see the house, but it was late and the alarm is on. So anyway, I did say hello. And, and she said hello. And she was, uh, she, we chatted for a little bit. She had just landed at Logan Airport from Korea. She rented a car and drove straight to Orchard House. <laughs> but the happy thing from my point of view and, and from her point of view was she had to see it right away. But there were plans the next day with her daughter to come back. Her daughter was in school here. She herself was going to be continuing on to California after spending some time in Massachusetts with her daughter, where she would be a visiting professor. She was on sabbatical. And she told me that Little Women, the book, had saved her life twice. First, when she was young, and she felt like she was nothing. She had to walk so many paces behind the men. They, you know, she just felt like nothing. And then she came upon Little Women. She read it, and it changed her attitude completely. It was, wow, she can look at that girl. Joe March can do that. And, and it just changed the way she thought. She ends up getting an education, becoming a professor. And now she's on her way to, to what I just said, the professorship in California. But the second time was when she found herself a single mother of two girls. And she felt horrible. She just, she was so down. And then she just decided to read Little Women again. And this time she focused on Marmy and how Marmy held her head up when other people looked down on her. And she never really gave in to that. And, and she just decided she could do that too. And she felt that Little Women had done this for her at two critical points in her life. And it was just a wonderful encounter. It was, it was just so amazing. And for me, things like that, that's, that's why I love what I do. That's why I want to keep Orchard House alive. That's why I love to perform. I have encounters like that after performances. The stories that people mm-hmm. come up and tell me, I feel so privileged to have that encounter, that kind of encounter with so many people. It happens at Orchard House. It happens after a performance. As Louisa, one one time, <laughs> uh, a grandmother came up to me, and you know, after this performance, and she said, "Oh, I so wanted to bring my grandson, but he, I don't know, he had something else." And she said, "I'm going to tell him about this because he loves Little Women, but he can't tell any of his friends." Oh because he's a boy. I've had people tell me 
they had really tough, 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 tough circumstances growing up, and they could go away from this chaos that was in their family of origin, and they were a part of the March family. They, they were in, they'd read that book, and that's where they were. And so for me, these are highlights, the highlights. And I had told Jamie about um, how I <laughs> met Madeline Stern and Leona Rostenberg because I had been asked to perform at an event um, that was giving them Lifetime Achievement Awards for their work as women, both as booksellers, I mean, uh, rare book dealers and, and authors. And I was so honored to be asked to do that. I was a little nervous, but... And then afterwards, the encounter I had with them, where <laughs> Madeline had said, you are Louisa May Alcott. Louisa would have loved this. I, it was, I was just, I couldn't believe I was hearing those words. And that started a tremendous friendship that went on for, for years and years. I'm trying to remember what year that would have been. But at least, at least probably 12 or 15 years of spending time with Madeline and Leona. And then after Leona died, Madeline, um, very close. She, she became like an auntie to me. That's all because of a performance as Louisa May Alcott and traveling through Japan and my chance to be in Mexico City and perform as Louisa there. I mean, I just can't get over the opportunities. And then working on these two films that we talked about a little bit earlier. Um, but in addition to, I, so it's always about people. It really is always about the people that are experiencing something of the house or something of Louisa's life that touches their soul. And when I look at what we've gone through structurally at Orchard House and realize what could have happened, there was one point during that where you got to Save America's Treasures grant. The fact that during that project, there was a point where sheathing boards well the clapboards had been removed and then the sheathing boards had been removed for this one particular wall and we were standing there because they had some concerns about this wall the structural engineer did and there was a gasp from the architect who was standing right behind me and he never said things like this oh my god he, he never some people use that term all the time i'd never once heard him say that and he said the nails are taking load you don't build a house where the nails take the load. You Today, you have stick construction. Back then, they had posted beam construction, but nobody has nail construction. I mean, the nails are to hold things in place, but what's right, taking the right. load is wood. The wood, yeah. <laughs> and, and then the structural engineer said, I've never seen a wall this close to collapse that hadn't actually already collapsed. Wow. Oh, my gosh. And... I just, I, I was just thinking, I, I can't get over this. I, you know, not because, well, I do absolutely value the actual structure of Orchard House. It's beautiful. It's, you know, it, it's historic, but it's because of what it means to people mm -hmm. who come and then you hear their stories. And I always feel there's a mini community, whether it's you're giving a tour inside the house or even talking to that woman that I just described in the parking lot, or after a performance, you know, people often want to talk. One time, I, I was actually asked to perform for the Rotary Club of Cambridge, Cambridge, Mass. And 
at the end, people always come up and talk a little bit, but this one woman was waiting very patiently till everyone was finished. And then she came up to me and she said, I don't know if you remember me, but you met my mother when she was visiting with me and we talked and my mother passed away and Little Women was their book. She actually called, she grew up in India and they read the book together and her mother remained in India. This woman lived in Lexington, Mass. And they would talk on the phone every single day. They were so incredibly close. This woman felt that she knew her mother would die someday, but they were so close. She felt that somehow their connection was so strong. She, she would still feel completely connected to her mother. And when her mother actually died, it devastated her in a way that she just didn't expect. Oh. But when she came to Orchard House, she could feel her mother again. That was the place where, because of what it meant when her mother visited with her. And, that, and then she was so moved. And, and I actually had some time that I went ahead and we agreed I would change quickly. And then we sat in the lobby of this. It was in a hotel where this performance took place. And we just, we just shared. We just talked as two women, two human beings. Um, not about all cotton necessarily, but I don't remember all that we said, but it, it was very meaningful. And there, there is Louisa connecting people. She connected the mm -hmm. two of you who have become friends and you've, you've started this podcast. You never know what the connections are, but the connections that happen in life, are that's what life really is about. Mm -hmm. And Louisa has an amazing capacity still to connect people. And that's a gift that is, is just truly to be treasured. And I feel that, that those are the high points for me. I've had a lot of amazing experiences. You know, you could say, oh, well, it was when you got to do this or got to do that, or you met Greta Gerwig. All of that is wonderful. But all of that is wonderful because of the actual conversations that are deep, that are meaningful. Um, and going back for just a minute to Maya Hawk, <laughs> I, uh, when we were closed because of the pandemic, I would do Facebook Live broadcasts every Sunday because I wanted to keep, keep this place in front of people. And so I'm often looking for guests and they think you two know a little bit about that. <laughs> and at one point I thought, oh, I wonder if I could get Maya to to be one of the guests and she agreed readily and it was so delightful because th the warmth that she felt from having played that role and you know and she had been in orchard house many times i mean i don't know how many but not just once way before she took on that role but when she was young and loved it and i just felt like how amazing that I got to see somebody start their career and have all these connections again because of all good and have it continue on in an easy, light friendship. I, you know, we, we don't talk all the time. <laughs> Her life has gone in many other directions. My life is busy. But if, right, you know, but out of the blue, if I call... Yeah, I call her up and, and ask her to be on the on the uh, Facebook Live, and she says yes, and we have a wonderful time on Facebook Live. And and by the way, so not only did Maya say yes to to being on the Facebook Live, but she said, "Well, Will is staying with me 
during the pandemic, they, they chose to live together, you know, sort of hunkering down, <laughs> you know, being isolated and do it together. And so Willow was on as well. The, the young woman who played Meg. And it was just amazing to me that, mm. that these human connections, because of all cut, kept popping up. And I have other wonderful human connections in my life that have nothing to do with all cut. Yes, that's true. But the fact that I happen as a, as a working life to have these connections brings such joy. I think of a million things I could do with a work life that would be drudgery. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this is joy. Well, I certainly think that that spirit of the Alcots was here tonight in our deep conversation. I mean, literally, we've laughed, we've shared all kinds of things together. This is what it's all about. Absolutely. Jan, I wanted to tell you, you know, going back to your Facebook lives, uh, in August of 2020, during the pandemic, I had my gallbladder out. So I was having, I had gallbladder surgery, and I had to be in the hospital for a few days. And so I was behind on some of your Facebook lives. So I was super bored in the hospital. So I watched a bunch of them. Binge watching. I was binge binge watching your Facebook lives. (laughs) Well, I hope they... They were um, a little bit of uh, a re- relief in the boredom. <laughs> they, oh, they sure were. Yeah, they took away some of the pain and the boredom sitting in my hospital room in the middle of the pandemic. <laughs> oh, isn't it amazing? The things that happened that we never would have predicted. I still can't quite get over the fact that we're not out of the woods yet with this oh, thing. I know. I know. But we I found know. a way, as Jamie saw when she was here at Orchard House recently, we found a way to be open again and we feel mm-hmm. like it's been safe and it was a big thing to figure out. Um, sure. But you know, that I can't tell you how I felt adequately, but I can sort of express that the first day that I walked back into orchard house after we shut down in March of 2020. And, and it, it was like a day and night thing because that very day, we were bustling. We were busier than ever. We had a huge uptick the because of the Gerwig. Yeah, of course. Yep. And we had a 350% increase in visitation. And that was a big challenge. We hired extra people. We bought, I trained a whole different way of touring the house so that people would not be stuck waiting outside and yet still feel, you know, very different mm. from what we're doing now, but different from what we normally do. So many adjustments. The staff was just so nimble to, to say, yes, we can do this. They were wonderful. And that was the day before. And then the very next day, I had to tell everybody we're shutting down. I had to call everyone, don't come in. And I went into the house and it felt like going in a tomb. I was so sad walking in there. It didn't feel like the same place at all. And that's one of the reasons I thought I've got to do something and came up with the idea of Facebook Live because then, and that really did change the feeling for me. I could sit in there and yes, there was nobody else in there with me. Sometimes my husband, he, he often would come and sort of be the <laughs> you know, producer or the person who would, okay, you need another extension cord or whatever. You know? <laughs> but a, a, a part, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But apart from that, there, nobody else was in there, but we knew people were coming in the house because of that broadcast, not in the same way. Mm -hmm. And that uplifted it all. And the house didn't feel empty anymore. And I just think, again, it's all relationships and people would write 
about what a certain broadcast meant to them. And you just felt like, oh, there were people who said this, this is, this is so important during this time, you know, the pandemic. And mm-hmm. you just felt like, again, here, here are the connections being made through Alcott. So mm-hmm. um, it's really fun to know that you're, you're carrying this on in a different way. It's, it's so important. Uh, well, I am planning on coming out to Massachusetts, fingers crossed, in July to visit Jamie uh, with my family. And I am going to be one of those people getting out of my car in front of Orchard House with that look on my face. <laughs> I will probably be. Oh, you're going to cry so hard. Oh, I'm going to be crying so hard. Well, definitely let me know ahead of time the actual, you know, when you're going to visit. Because unless some unusual circumstance is taking place where I literally can't physically get in there i really want to meet you (laughs) i would love to meet you jan yes and jamie of course will be there too so it'll be a wonderful connection all the way around and i've enjoyed this connection tonight so much see you next week for louisa in threads our conversation with artist Leslie Scomp. Leslie was an artist in residence at Fruitlands in 2021, where she brought to life some of Louisa's most vulnerable journal quotes from that time, creating visual representations of her words through fiber art and embroidery. For more about Louisa, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Let Genius Burn. If you're enjoying the show, please give us five stars on your podcast app. Reviews help us find new listeners and new fans for Louisa. You'll find more information, including the resources used for this episode, in the show notes and on our website at letgeniusburn.com.